Hello. Hello and welcome back to the Guy and a Gal podcast. We are recording this from, I want to say, week four of lockdown. But to be honest, I have no idea which week we're on now. I don't even know who I am. All I know is that it's one month to Christmas and that is a godsend in itself. We're not far off. But how are you doing? How are things? Uh, things are all right. I, uh, I, I can't complain, although I have to say I've, I've definitely noticed a slight dip in my sanity levels. Today I did catch myself speaking to an inanimate object. <laughs> I was, uh, I bought, I bought a new roasting dish and I cooked some salmon in it. And as I put it into the oven in my head, I was like, oh, this is your first time going in the oven. And then I was like, (laughs) then I was like, I was like, you're actually going insane. And I I was like, okay, Matthew, tomorrow we're going to leave the house. Okay. (laughs) So I'm speaking to inanimate objects. What about you? So I'm all right. Yeah. I've got into a little bit of a weird habit where when the sun comes through to my room in the morning, I've started, I mean, this really demonstrates how much time I've got at the moment. I've started taking photos of my bed in the sunlight because I keep looking at it and thinking, oh, that looks really arty. Well, yeah, I'll take a nice photo of that. And I think in my head, I'm creating like, I don't know, a Spotify album cover or something like that. But in reality, what I've actually got is just a full camera roll of really mediocre photos of my bed. But you know, can't complain. Maybe I should start a uh, side project as a photographer of unmade beds. Yeah, a bit of a, a, bit of a side hustle opportunity there, I think, George. But <laughs> yeah. no, I, I'm with you. I, I do that too. I frequently look back through my, my camera roll and I see these like upside down photos where I thought the shadowing was looking nice or the lighting was perfect. And you look back and you're like, who on earth is going to look at that and go, oh, <laughs> look at that art. Mm, get that in the Tate said no one ever <laughs> well i don't know when you see uh, the photo of my bed you might think differently uh i've seen your bed in real life and i can't say that it's particularly it's not particularly artful <laughs> well <laughs> you did try to rearrange the cushions well, of course of course you know i'm, I'm a fixer <laughs> so down to business we had a fabulous guest this week her name is alice alice may perkis and she was just fab to talk to, wasn't she? Honestly, having never met Alice before, it was a real pleasure to just chat to her. So Alice was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 26. And her story is one of triumph and strength in really tackling this adversity head on and using it as a way to really build and grow herself personally. And she talks about a book that she's published and she's recently launched a fantastic podcast. And she's trustee of a variety of different charities. And I, I was just blown away, I think, by her, by her story and, you know, what she's done with it. So, yeah, a, a really great guest. I think the reason we wanted to cover cancer specifically as a topic is you and I both had a parent diagnosed with cancer throughout our lives. And it was, you know, so it's a topic really close to our hearts that we really wanted to dive into. And I think Alice was the perfect guest to cover the serious side of that but also talk about all the positives she's brought out of that experience yeah and you know i think it's one of those things that neither of us are particularly afraid of talking about but equally it's still a very sensitive topic that was so incredibly upending when it happened and i know from my own personal perspective you know when it happened it was very much just my mum as a single parent with my brother and i and so the whole journey had like a whole different nuance whilst I was doing my A-levels and it was just 
the hardest time and there's a part of you that wants to talk about it and share it but it's also a part of you that's like you know this is this is a really tough topic and I think that's what makes Alice and her ability to just do this so eloquently and confidently and with humor is like the best thing I think yeah 100% she just talks about everything in such an upbeat manner and I, I think the way that she frames a lot of the things she talks about as after diagnosis is really important I think for me my experience of my dad being so ill only really hit me after the event and possibly sometimes after he got the all clear when I sort of realized actually what happened to us as a family and that's ultimately where her podcast comes from it's called afterthoughts and it's speaking to people about those situations and and really give these people an opportunity to have a platform to share their story exactly so on that note should we get stuck in on a slightly more somber note than usual let's do it Hello and welcome back to A Guy and a Gal podcast. Today we're joined by a very special guest and G will do the intro in a second. We we are once again doing this via Zoom um, thanks to the joys or the not so joys that COVID and the pandemic has put upon us. So um, for any intermittent internet issues, which we are facing today, we apologise in advance. <laughs> George, <laughs> let me hand over to you. So Alice, before you joined us today, we asked you to send over a little bit of a bio about you, which I'm going to read out now. So Alice May Perkis is a writer, creator and marketing nerd based in London. She was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015 when she was 26. Hearing the words, you have cancer, changed her life immeasurably, but not necessarily for the worst. Her first book, Life, Lemons and Melons, was released in 2019 and explores the relationship between cancer and mental health. You've put here... It's funnier than it sounds. <laughs> she spends most of her time swimming in cold water, talking about boobs, reading, writing, and trying to make sense of the wild, wonderful, and complicated world we live in. So obviously listening to that, the bit that really stands out is finding out you've been diagnosed with cancer at 26. So can you tell us a little bit more about your story and your journey? Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me. I'm always a bit like my story started when I was diagnosed with cancer and obviously my story didn't start then but um, yeah I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 26 and it's true what they say in that moment everything changed. I found that literally everything changed my relationship with my body, my relationships with people, um, my work, everything just kind of switched and yeah, I went through treatment. I had chemotherapy. I had radiotherapy. I had a mastectomy. I had several reconstructive surgeries. Um, the whole shebang, <laughs> basically. Um, and yeah, then after after that, I kind of decided that I didn't want to go back to work full time and started writing more more regularly. I, I wrote a blog throughout my treatment, and yeah, I. I just kind of got co- more confidence in my writing from that. I did a journalism degree at uni, but then I went into marketing because there's no journalism jobs. Um, <laughs> and yeah, then um, after finishing treatment, I was like, oh, I don't want to go back to working in a job that I, I don't really love. Um, I want to do something that I feel passionate about. And I did a bunch of things. I wrote my book. And then probably uh, probably about 18 months ago, um, my co-host of uh, the podcast that I work on got in touch with me and he was like I think we should work together and from there we've kind of created this bunch of stuff and um, the podcast is part of it and um, but basically what what we do now is 
we facilitate other people telling their stories other young adults who've been through cancer we facilitate them telling their stories and yeah it's it's an incredible privilege to be able to work with people to help them kind of unpick their cancer experience and and create this amazing for want of a better word content <laughs> that was a bit rambly but i guess that kind of gives you an indication of of where i've got to and how i how i got there i guess yeah, you've done so many different things. When I was um, explaining to Matt a bit more about you and why I suggested you as a guest, I was like, she's done this, she's done that. So I think we want to unpick all the various bits and bobs that you've done, but I'm going to take you back a second to <laughs> your diagnosis. I think, Alice, when you and I first met, we had the conversation that Matt and I have both had a parent with cancer, so my dad and Matt's mum, and thankfully they're both all clear and everything's good now. But I think can you tell us a bit more about your experience of first being diagnosed? Because I know for both of us, it was just something that when it's yourself or when it's a family member, you just don't see coming. And I know it sounds silly, but you think, oh, it won't happen to me or my family. 100%. 100%. You never think it will happen to you. But the truth is that like, it's one in three of us will get cancer. And, or is it one in two now? It's one in two, isn't it? I think it's one in two. Think it's one in two. Uh, yeah, one in two of us will get cancer. And it's so interesting that we all kind of have this mentality that oh, it, it's something that happens to other people. And I was 100% of that mindset. And I found a lump in my right breast. And I, kind of, I didn't really think anything of it because I'd had cysts in my left breast. And um, I was like super, super casual about it. And it wasn't I mean, until you were so young. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yes, I was, I was 26. And um, I just assumed that when I found this lump, um, it was just another fibroadenoma or a cyst and they're, they're completely benign, not cancerous at all. And um, wasn't until I mentioned it to my mum and my mum used my full name that I realised I needed to, to go and get it checked out. She was like, Alice May Perkis, you will go to the doctors <laughs> and you will get it checked out. And Good yeah, for her. I know, yeah. like, amazing. Um, and my husband, was, was, he wasn't my husband at the time, but he was like, come on, you, you need to go to the doctors. And I was like, I'm really busy. I'm so young, it's not going to be anything bad. Yes, I went to the GP. The GP said to me, I'm pretty sure it's, it's nothing bad, but I'm going to send you through to the breast clinic. And then I went to the breast clinic and the surgeon examined me and said, I'm 95% certain this is not a bad lump, but I'm going to send you to get an ultrasound anyway. And um, he sent me to have an ultrasound. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call. And it's really funny because I remember saying to my husband, we, um, we were coming in our flat downstairs and I was like, oh, it's been two weeks and I haven't heard anything from the hospital. Um, and he said to me, oh, it was probably because it's fine. Like you would only hear from them like that quickly if it was cancer. So you're probably fine. Like, don't worry about it. And then literally the next day the, the hospital rang and they said, oh, can you come in and see us? And I, again, <laughs> was very casual about it. They're like, oh, can you come in and see us on this date? And I was like, oh, actually, no, I can't because I'm going to be in Mallorca. <laughs> and then they were like okay so uh, can you come in like the day after tomorrow and I was like um no actually I can't because I'm going to be at Glastonbury they're like okay fine and um, and the nurse is like let me just go and check with the surgeon and if it's okay for you to come in when you get back and at this point I was like nah it's nothing it's fine they just want to like maybe maybe some more tests and yeah so we, we went to Glastonbury um and then went to Mallorca directly afterwards we were at home for like an afternoon and then went straight to Mallorca best decision ever and yeah then we came back from Mallorca and um on the 7th of July 
I would say on the 7th of July, uh, 2015, a little before noon, a doctor, um, a very kindly doctor in a very big bow tie said to me, Miss Perkis, there's no easy way to say this. Um, you have cancer. And yeah, like I never, I never saw it coming. I was 26. There's no family history at all. Um, no one in my family has ever had cancer, let alone breast cancer. So even, even when we'd been at Glastonbury and even when we'd been away, I still, I think I just still kind of convinced myself, maybe it was a self-preservation thing. I just kind of convinced myself that it was nothing, it was fine. And I remember saying to Chris, who, who's my husband now at the time, I was like, what happens if it is something? And he said to me, well, if it is something, we'll deal with it and it'll be fine. And um, great attitude. yeah, exactly. Cause we, we didn't know we were on holiday. We were trying to have a good time. We were, we were having a good time. Like honestly, that Glastonbury followed by Majorca, it was probably, <laughs> I would say probably the best week to 10 days of my life. And what an amazing thing to do before coming back and then being diagnosed with cancer. But yeah, like none of my family expected it. Um, it just was so, so out of the blue in lots of ways. And yeah, you never expect that it'll happen to you. I think what's really inspirational about what you just said is the fact that you're so honest and candid about your experience and your journey. And this is something that rightly so would knock anyone sideways. I think the the interesting thing about the difference and why I guess we'd love, we love to kind of get you on here and just have your opinion is because a lot of the things that we cover is sort of, you know, the mundane elements of life, you know, where you thought you'd be and the sort of societal pressures that that kind of puts on you as a, a young person trying to find your way. You described at the beginning that this really sort of changed your view on things and changed your relationships. And I'd just be quite interested, you know, sort of pre and post the big C, you know, mm. what, what changed, like what did change and, and how have you sort of now adapted your outlook on life? It's such an interesting question. And it is, it's something that I talk about quite a lot. I think, you know, there's no denying that cancer is a trauma and I have definitely experienced some kind of post-traumatic stress as a result of it. Um, and that is so funny because <clears throat> before I got sick, I would have been like, that's something that happens to other people. Yeah. Again, that's something that happens to like war vets or whatever. So I've definitely had like post-traumatic stress, but I've also experienced a lot of something called post-traumatic growth. And this is um, kind of the school of thought that when you um, have a trauma, you it, it kind of changes your your perspective and it allows you to grow and it allows you to um see things in a, in a different way and my perspective has definitely changed and i always say like i'm, I'm kind of the, i'm pretty much the same person i was before i was diagnosed but i'm like a twin of myself in lots of ways because i'm i look the same but a lot of my behaviors I guess have changed like I'm I, I try much harder to look after myself now than I ever used to and I am <laughs> I've always been quite outspoken and quite bold but I'm even more so now I've always been exceptionally stubborn <laughs> I am even more so now um and amazing <laughs> <laughs> I used to I used to kind of it, it's it's su such a cliche to say but I just don't have time for bullshit anymore Oh, sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. You crack right on. <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> That's something I've really had to measure <laughs> when we're recording the podcast, especially with the young adults. But yeah, um, like I just, I don't, don't have time for bullshit. And I 
it's, it's again, it's such a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason, right? I learned so much about myself and about people around me and a lot of my outlooks are the same. I guess they're just, I'm, I'm more determined about them than I maybe was before. And I'm definitely much more, I'm very concentrated on, you know, what makes a life rather than, you know, doing what I feel like I, I should in, in lots of ways. Um, so yeah, I spend a lot of time looking after myself, which I never was very good at before. I have addressed some fairly serious issues with my mental health that I was kind of ignoring before. and yeah it it has made me appreciate silly things like one of the really big changes and this this is so <laughs> so silly and my dad was like you massive weirdo <laughs> i'm obsessed with like the sky and light okay. now i've always been really i've always really loved it the thing about that that really kind of reminds me how magnificent the world is i know it sounds so cheesy but like a beautiful sky really how you're part of something way bigger yes. than you yeah absolutely you, you don't sound silly at all because i have a similar thing when i'm on an yeah. airplane i look out a window and i always i'm like wow this is so cool like to be able to do this so don't worry and i i sort of imagine myself in like one of those sad music videos like looking out the window you know what I mean like or on a train yeah or on a train every time walking somewhere with the right music in your ears then I feel <laughs> yeah. like I'm in a music video you're like where's the where's the cameras yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. but yeah I guess I don't know if that really answers the question but I think yeah everything changed and also nothing changed at the same time one of the things that you mentioned to me over the summer is that you're doing a lot of outdoor open water swimming always yeah i want to know more about this <laughs> so i literally this morning they reopened the booking for brockwell lido and the lake that i swim at and i was immediately like yes i'm, there. <laughs> I'm in <laughs> so i'm booked to go back at um on wednesday next week for my first uh, swim since we went into lockdown but yeah i um basically swim in any bodies of water the colder the better it's an incredible tool. I started doing it. So this is my third year of swimming through the winter outdoors um, in an unheated pool. And, um... Ooh, it makes me cold just thinking about it. <laughs> no, I was going to say, when you said next Wednesday, I feel like we do need to clarify that that is, is what, the 2nd of December? Yes. <laughs> Very much winter. Yeah, 2nd of December. <laughs> I reckon the temperature will probably be, this is just guesswork, but I, I reckon the temperature will be about 8 degrees in the water next week. Oh, oh my god! And I love it when it gets below ten. Like that's what? when it's really. Oh, that's your sweet spot. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hit me with that sweet, sweet coldness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and I just swim in a swimming costume as well. So um, if, it's, <gasps> if, it, if it drops below ten, I will wear gloves because I get quite cold hands. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's it's just incredible. It's been such a great tool for my mental health. I always say like lots of people kind of bill it as a fix-all for mental health issues and I, I don't think it's a fix-all I think it's a great tool to have in your arsenal and I think you know managing your mental health is about having an array of tools like a pick and um, mix yeah exactly um and um, but it's really good for um your lymphatic system as well and um, your lymphatic system plays a big part in breast cancer and uh, well ca in cancer in general but also specifically in breast cancer yeah. and it's supposed to be a really good way to reduce the risk of recurrence I don't know if it's true but I love it anyway so might as well do it and yeah it's just great there's nothing there there is nothing that will ever remind you just 
what it feels like to be alive than getting in cold water. Cold water. Yeah, I've, I've read this mm. before. Because so I've done a couple of triathlons and um, that isn't meant as a brag. That's really meant as a like <laughs> somehow I fucking made it. Um, but the hardest part, I love swimming. And the hardest part was doing the open water swim at the beginning. Yeah. It was in the Thames in the middle of June. And yet it was still 12 degrees. And I was wearing a wetsuit. And there's just this madness as the, as the race starts and everyone's kicking around. But there is something about coming out the water and obviously you've got to go on and do other things, but you have this, like, you feel like a warmth inside oh, you from yeah. the, you've gone from that extreme cold and obviously exerting yourself to then getting out that there is an appeal. I do get, I do get where you're coming from. hundred percent. And I love it as well. Like when you get out, so I get out the water and I get dressed as quickly as possible. And one of the, Kind of one of my best tips for cold water swimming is dress from the top down. When you're getting dressed, put a hat on first mm. and then layer up and go, and go downwards. So there's actually a hilarious picture of me from a few years ago that I took when I was in a changing room. I'm wearing like a bobble hat and you can see that I've got like Michelin jumpers on, like loads of layers, <laughs> but then I'm just stood there in my pants. <laughs> it's a really funny photo, but um, yeah, so like you, you get autumn winter sheet down and put your like put your thermals on and then and then you're like all cozy and you have hot chocolate and it's just there's something really special about that going from being really really cold mm -hmm. to being really really warm and it just it amazes me that you it just shows you the resilience of the human body and how adaptable and adjustable it is. Um, and one thing I've really seen is my cold water tolerance as I, as I like going into my third year, like my cold water tolerance is so good now. Like I'm not cocky about it because you've got to be, you've got to be careful because if you're not careful, you, you end up with hypothermia and nobody wants that. But <laughs> like, nobody got time for that. <laughs> no way. And one of the things that they say is you should, you should swim for twice as long as the temperature. Some people say twice. Some people say you should swim a length per degree, but I I was starting to push that a little bit in um, before lockdown. I was going to say, is that time in minutes? Yes, yes. So um, if it's 10 degrees, you can stay in for 20 minutes. Um, that tends to be more if you're going to use a wetsuit. So I'm, I'm a bit more careful than that generally. But like I was in for the last time I swam, I think it was 10 degrees and I was in for 25 minutes and I was fine. And that just shows you the way, like the power of that adaptability of your body. Um, and it's yeah it's incredible and just like pushing yourself through cold water and that feeling when you catch your breath your breath's like really tight and and difficult for 20 seconds or whatever and then that moment when you ease into it is amazing incredible i say matt it sounds like you're wearing too many clothes 100 <laughs> you guys should Alice, swimming. i might come and swim with you do please do and i, I should change that to an affirmative yes so I swim at Brockwell Lido or there's a lake um, in Beckenham Place Park, which I was like, I'm pointing at them like, <laughs> you know, just behind me. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a lake in Beckenham Place Park that's lovely as well. Um, yeah, you should 100% both come down and swim. It's a COVID secure activity. 100%. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lynn. I'm, I'm, I'm coming. An interesting thing that has just come to my head mm -hmm. is one of the topics that we covered last week with um, our guest then, who was a girl called George Attlesey. Attlesey, sorry. Um, she was talking about how she has kind of had to get her own mental health in check with the with COVID and everything that's been going on. And for her, it was about 
really recognizing that you know actually a whole host of this is just out of our control and that's where a lot of the sort of concern and upset and anxiety comes from mm-hmm. and she sort of described it as stepping away from like black and white and moving more into the gray and i wonder whether obviously being thrown a curveball like a cancer diagnosis at such a young age like how have you had to sort of learn to live with that element of grave. I think that's really true and there's been a lot of chat in the cancer community about basically with the COVID pandemic it's like everyone else has caught up with us it's like mm-hmm. everyone else has kind of had an insight into what it's like to, to live with with and beyond a cancer diagnosis you know um, and I think it has actually in lots of ways I won't say it's made the pandemic easier but it has I wrote something recently and I basically said that it's like we've done the dress rehearsal already um, at the, the kind of cancer community and I'm sure other chronic, other communities, um, other illness communities feel the same. But it's like we've done the dress rehearsal and now everyone's come together for kind of the main event. And I think it, yeah. it has prepared me. It, it, having cancer did prepare me for uncertainty. But I will say... <laughs> There was a point, probably about, probably about six weeks before we went into kind of the second wave, where we knew it was coming, and like we were getting ready for it. And I remember saying to a friend, I was like, "I'm supposed to be done with uncertainty. I've had five years of it. I've, it was just after I'd been discharged from the breast clinic. So I was discharged from the breast clinic in August, and I was like, th- that was supposed to be the end of my uncertainty. And now we've got this like bloody global uncertainty." that everyone's dealing with and I was like I know it sounds really selfish but I was supposed to be done it was supposed to be like straightforward now (laughs) and obviously I've done my time let me off (laughs) yeah obviously it's never straightforward and that's a really um it's it's a a naive position to come from but it was just in that moment I was like fury um but yeah I think in terms of tips and stuff I think Things like this just, it teaches you how important it is to just be in the moment. And you can't control what's happening, but you can control how you react to things. And you can't control what other people are doing. So you can't control that some people are not wearing masks in a supermarket. You can't control that some people are gathering when they're not supposed to but what you can control is 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 your reaction to that and the stories you tell yourself about that as well I think that's a really important thing to to remember and I read something that recently that said um a feeling passes through us in like 10 seconds or something like that but it's the stories we tell ourselves that linger and that's why I I think we have to kind of manage ourselves in a in a way and yeah I, I, think, I think that's, that's really a, beautifully put actually yeah, yeah. Really I, mean, put. I, I can't take credit for it I'm not sure who said yeah. it <laughs> um, but yeah like I think that's a really good way to look at things you know you can't control everyone else you can control yourself and you can tr- control the stories you tell yourself and I guess in terms of the story you tell when we were writing the bio and all the things you've done before this, you have done so many incredible things since your diagnosis. So for anyone who doesn't know, Alice is a trustee of Copperfield, which is just amazing. You've done a campaign with Girl Versus Cancer. And I know the founder, Lauren, uh, looking back through her post from a few years ago, she mentioned that or described you as her first cancer companion, which is amazing. And obviously both of those organisations are huge now. Mm-hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do for both of them? 
Yeah, sure. So um, with Copperfield, yeah, I'm a, I'm a trustee for Copperfield. I started out my time there as a boobette. So the boobettes are nice. basically <laughs> ambassadors who go into like schools, workplaces, colleges, whatever, and talk about the importance of being breast aware. Basically, we'll go anywhere to bang on about bangers. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> it's just like basically the boobettes are like the they they get called like the boob ninjas because we'll go anywhere <laughs> and talk about talk about boobs and check boobs and yeah boobs boobs boobs. Um, <laughs> but yes, I I kind of stepped away from being a boobette about probably about eighteen months ago. Um, I became a trustee like three years ago and decided to focus my attention on that instead. And yeah, as a trustee, I'm basically responsible for helping drive the charity forward and making sure that we're serving our beneficiaries. So the purpose of Copperfield is to stamp out late detection of breast cancer and, and get everybody, um, guys, gals, non-binary pals, to be checking their boobs on a regular basis. So for me, my trustee role is just about like doing everything I can to facilitate Copperfield getting that message out there and, and being on the board, I'm kind of the voice of someone who's, who's had cancer. Yeah, and then with, with Girl Versus Cancer, um, obviously, Lauren has created this amazing movement I guess it is mm. a movement you know and yeah I've done a I've, I think I've just done one campaign with her but yeah I remember when Lauren was diagnosed she put on Facebook no on Twitter sorry um she put on Twitter that she'd she'd got this diagnosis and I just sent her a message and I was like hi I'm about 12 18 months ahead of you I've been through treatment let me know if there's anything I can do and yeah so she so did you guys know each other before that like, no, prior to that tweet no didn't oh, know okay. each other I, I she'd started following me on twitter obviously around the time she got her diagnosis and i followed her back and um i remember being like wow this person's really big in the game why are they following me on twitter <laughs> big time <laughs> yeah, and then um yeah when she kind of announced that she'd got breast cancer i was just like do you know what? i've been there and i know how hard it is and i know how lonely it can be so I just wanted to reach out to her and and basically say I can be your person if you need a person and obviously she's gone on to create this this incredible movement and she's got her podcast you me big c podcast and um yeah she's just kind of cultivating conversations within the cancer community oh gosh try saying that fast um, <laughs> <Tongue> twister. <laughs> yeah. cultivating conversations um, the cancer community <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah she's doing she's doing amazing things yeah and like I I, cancer brought you together yeah yeah absolutely i mean i don't see her um particularly often but like we often speak on social and like i emailed her about afterthoughts this week and basically said uh, can you share this with your audience please <laughs> she's like of course yeah 100 percent." and she's been really supportive of basically all of the stuff that toby and i are doing and um, to, to again cultivate conversations around cancer and um yeah she's a really like she's a tour de force uh, in the cancer community for sure how, how great is it that you can all be there to help and inspire one another through so you know such a challenging and trying set of circumstances because i think that is in many instances again like the only reference that we've all got shared now is this covid pandemic and like yeah. that as you said is a dress rehearsal oh no sorry is the main event for a dress rehearsal you guys have been doing for years and yeah. i think what many people are looking for in this instance during this current trauma is is sort of companionship and someone to just be like 
do you know what I'm with you and it's okay and you know I hear you I, I see you and I, I get that this is tough and I think mm. it must be even more even more like compelling and needed when you've got such a you know a life-changing piece of news like I've you know you're you've got cancer definitely the cancer community particularly on Instagram is really like solid very supportive yeah. um there's lots of <clears throat> lots of people doing different things but everyone's kind of got each other's backs and that's amazing and I do think that social media has allowed us to open up a lot of conversations that we maybe wouldn't wouldn't have done before I think the big thing that's come out of this pandemic like you said is the fact of needing that companionship but I think if you're going through a cancer experience you almost it's even harder like Matt said because you have the life-changing news yourself but you don't necessarily have everybody else around you going through it so remember when we first went into lockdown my parents were like well we've done this before except we had to do it and nobody else did Mm -hmm. because my dad's immune system was weak from chemotherapy he was very much at risk of getting cold so every time they went they had an event it would be does anyone there have a cold if they do okay we can't go this time which is so similar to what we're going through right now but when you have to make the choice where it's just you locking down and nobody else does that's what's so much harder so yeah I guess like you said in a way it's a perfect dress rehearsal yeah and I think it's it's really interesting a friend of mine texted me actually so we again we were supposed to be going to Glastonbury this year and obviously it got cancelled and a friend texted me and she's like I'm so furious for you that that Covid's taken away your opportunity to go to Glastonbury she's like you've already missed out on so much stuff because of cancer and because of all of your surgeries I'm so angry about it and I was like do you know what though like it's actually kind of nice because it's not just me missing out it's everyone Mm. missing out and it's not just like not happening because there's something going on with me which is kind of a selfish selfish way to look at it I guess no so true um I I wasn't but it's that perspective yeah yeah and I obviously I was like gutted that Glastonbury wasn't going ahead but it wasn't like it was just me and Chris missing out on it everybody was feeling that and it's this idea of like collective grief as well right you know we're all grieving for what we thought 2020 was going to be like and there is companionship in that so how how did you deal with people who potentially you know kind of like you just described your friend who was angry on your behalf maybe sort of during the time that you were going through chemo you know just wasn't on the same page and and wasn't sort of necessarily giving you the support you needed because the reason I ask is it's a slightly loaded question in that I had a an example where when mum was going through chemo it, it was just my mum my brother and I and so mum used to like make us lunch and you know do all of these things and I remember distinctly at school um, a girl in my class complaining very loudly and very annoyingly about the fact that her mum had made this awful like lunch for her and how it tasted really crap whatever and I was like my mum is currently lying in hospital having chemotherapy and I don't have anyone to make Mm. me lunch and I remember getting so upset about it um And I think like in retrospect, obviously, you know, she doesn't have that as a relative viewpoint. So obviously she can't possibly comprehend it. But it took me a really long time to kind of understand that until you've gone through something like that, you can't possibly relate. And I just, what about you? How did you do it? You know, you were dealing with it rather than being a sort of (laughs) hanger on. (laughs) So how did you deal with that? How old were you when your mum was diagnosed? Uh, it was. I got. I found out two days before my 18th birthday. So oh. I was. I was a little bit older. You were but still young. Still young and middle of my A levels. It was a, it was a pretty traumatic oh, time. Yeah. 
bad time. I mean, it's, there's never a good time, is there? But yeah, to your question, how how did I deal with like people? So I did um, a a panel actually about cancer and friendships specifically um, a few months ago, and one of the things that came out of it and it, this was kind of unanimous across the board so there were kind of people who'd had cancer on the on the panel and also people who um, work with people who've had cancer and I think the kind of one thing that really came out of it and this is again you know kind of a motto for for life it's just the importance of kindness so from a patient's perspective it's really important to remember that you can go through like a million different emotions in an hour, let alone in a day when you're going through cancer treatment. And therefore, if somebody says something to you one day that you're offended by, and then the next day you laugh at, that's okay. And mm. I think it's really important to be kind to yourself. But I also think it's really important to be kind to the people around you. And I know that that's kind of, it, it feels like a burden, but and like an extra burden that the person who's going through cancer, you know, probably doesn't need. But one of the things that I kept coming back to again and again and again was I didn't know how to, how to deal with going through cancer. So how could I expect the people who weren't going mm. through it to understand? How could I expect them to know what the right thing to say was when before I was diagnosed, I had no idea what the right thing to say was. I would have gone for, you know, those platitudes that we roll out again and again and again. And I just think it's about understanding that more often than not, people want to do good and that they're trying their best. And I think that's kind of, you know, one of the big things that's come out of my, my cancer treatment and my experience of that is I try to I mean, I know I said I don't have time for bullshit, but I also try to be very forgiving because people are generally trying their best to be good. Mm. And, you know, sometimes people get it wrong, but we're humans. We're not robots. So all, all we can do is the best we can do, you know? Um, I think it's like you said, Matt, as well. People just don't understand. If you haven't been oh. through that experience. So I was even a little bit older when my dad was diagnosed. I think I was 23. And I remember saying to Matt and also to one of uh, mine and Matt's best friends, who's uh, been through a lot in terms of cancer, her mum unfortunately passed when we were 16. And that was sort of my first experience with it. But I said to both Matt and Charlotte, it was only when my dad was diagnosed and I went through that, that I really understood it. And I think unless you go through it, you just don't have any concept of what it's like. 100%. And like, yeah, in a way, I never want people to be able to understand. Mm, agreed. They understand, they've been there. And I'd rather that they weren't, they, they didn't have to go through that because obviously cancer treatment and the aftermath. Um, and I, I think that's really important to say, it wasn't just the treatment, it was the aftermath as well. Yeah. The hardest thing I've ever done. And I would never want anyone to be able to understand what it's like to go through that because if, if they do, they, they've been through it and they've felt the burns of the hellfire and the trauma and, you know, all of that. And, but they also haven't gone through the post-traumatic growth, which you have. Right. <laughs> and so true. You've now done a podcast, you've written a book, you're on a trustee for a number of different charities, you're advocating and providing that support and, you know, reference and, you know, visible success story, which I think is fabulous and really well done. I think it's awesome. What's next? You know, what's next on your growth story? Like, where do you want to take this? Oh, that is the big question, isn't it? I mean, um, so a lot of the stuff I'm doing now is basically, I've kind of repositioned. Thank you. Thanks to my co-host of the podcast, Toby. Um, so Toby had Hodgkin's lymphoma when he was 
19 and again when he was 21. And thanks to him, I've kind of been able to reposition my experience. So I'm five years down the line. It's five years since diagnosis. It's nearly five years since I finished treatment, which is a great kind of landmark to hit. And thanks to Toby, I've been able to reposition my experience of cancer as my superpower. So that's what he says. He always says that having had cancer is his superpower because it's enabled him to do things a little bit differently. And so we work together on the podcast, but we also have um, a community interest company um, called Beyond Art, which aims to elevate the voices of young people who've had cancer and help them kind of process their experiences and, and turn it into art, essentially. And now the work that I do isn't so much about me anymore. It's about facilitating other people to tell their stories because I know how how powerful telling your story can be and what a healing tool it can be. So now Toby and I work to help other people tell their stories. One of the things that, this is, this is still kind of like in the works. But yes, next thing that's happening is basically just trying to um, continue work with Beyond Arts and help other people tell their stories. And I'm hoping to basic, I'm hoping to create an anthology um, for Afterthoughts. So Afterthoughts is the podcast and we're hoping to turn, well, basically, create some new stories and put them in a collection of books so you know often the conversations around cancer seem to end either when treatment does or if mm. you know, somebody dies but actually we know that the diagnosis is often the start of the conversation it's the start of the story and when we're just talking about treatment or whatever we're missing out on the bulk of the narrative so that's something that Toby and I and um, we work with a producer called Sharon um, that's something that we're, we're kind of hoping to explore. We had so many big plans for 2020 for Beyond Arts, including like, so Toby's a theatre maker and Sharon's a producer. We were hoping to create um, a theatre show and obviously wow. got parked. So yeah, just kind of, again, doing that facilitation of other people telling their stories through art, through theatre, through the written word, through paintings, through, you know, more regular art stuff well I was gonna say we're recording this on quite a significant day for your podcast actually if I'm right in thinking series two has gone live today yeah series two just dropped this morning um which exciting. is Ooh. awesome uh, super exciting and so series one focused on the stories of people in their 20s and 30s who are diagnosed with cancer and was supported by a brilliant charity called Trekstock um, and series two, we've, we've gone a bit younger. So seven people aged between 13 and 24 are diagnosed with cancer every day. And we wanted to tell some of their stories, basically. So um, we've partnered with Teenage Cancer Trust for the second series of the podcast. And yeah, that launched this morning. Um, and I just, I've been absolutely blown away by the storytellers. They've been so eloquent and articulate and funny and moving. And I think the kind of big takeaway from this series for me is just how hopeful they are. And, and that was um, a really rewarding thing to witness. And it was incredibly powerful, I think, for both Toby and I to help shine a light on some of these stories that maybe we don't hear as often. I can't wait to listen. I saw it over the last couple of days, all your teasers, particularly the yeah. Annie one last night. I have to uh, give that a listen later. So yeah. it's, the podcast is called Afterthoughts. And yeah. is that following what you've been saying? Am I interpreting correctly in that it's the conversations that you're having after you've had your treatment and after you've gone through cancer? Yeah, so it's basically 
af after that diagnosis. So for some people, you know, treatment never ends. Um, so we, don't, we never say after treatment, we say after the diagnosis. And yeah, it's because those, those stories are, you know, where some of the some of the kind of defining moments happen and we basically it's it's a storytelling podcast rather than a, a sitting and chatting podcast I mean I love a sitting and chatting podcast yeah. as you can probably tell um, but, um so do we yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a it's a storytelling podcast so we have seven themes and basically we work with the young people or, or the people in the 20s and 30s to create a story around those themes so um, rather than us asking questions they'll they'll tell a story about a point and an experience and they'll describe where they were and how they felt and all of that and we basically help them create that narrative essentially um so yeah we have these seven themes and they're it's like um identity I'm testing myself identity <laughs> invisible impacts beyond a diagnosis lost conversations teenage kicks for this series um and don't laugh so yeah we basically they they tell stories around those themes amazing and what a lovely mission to have is to sort of allow and help other people to bring their stories out i think that's a really really lovely thing to to want to do do you know what like <laughs> his head will grow but um working with toby has been such a blessing for me in that respect because it allowed me to take myself out of the story and it's not about mm. me anymore it's about other people and that is amazing and um he's such a creative and interesting person and professionally like he's just given me the confidence to pursue my own creative ideas and um toby if you're listening none of this is actually true and i don't like you at all <laughs> <laughs> it's quite hard to be a creative person who works alone um, mm. so to have a person who I work with who I can send like random voice notes on whatsapp to like I sent him one the other week I was like how cool would it be if we did a selection of one to two minute monologues of people going up to um they have their hospital their treatment in hospital lifts and he was like yeah that sounds great and I was like afterwards I was like does it sound great was he just teasing <laughs> me <laughs> No, I think that's a really that's a really interesting idea because I guess at that moment everything will be so sort of pivotal. It's about to happen. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, um, we'll tune in. You've got two <laughs> listeners, if no one else. Brilliant, amazing. <laughs> so I read a quote earlier when I was doing my research, which it was written by a lady. She didn't have cancer, but she's a quite a prominent blogger and book writer in the US. A lady called Beth Greenaway, and one of the quotes that she talks about and overcoming adversity was about how the hardest times that we go through can be the most powerful in turning us from regular to exceptional human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite a sort of interesting quote. And I just wonder, do you consider yourself to be exceptional? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I consider myself to be very, very mediocre. Um, oh, I disagree. <laughs> I totally disagree. And, and it's interesting though because like um I remember I, I had some therapy actually um when I well I've had lots of therapy over the years for various reasons but I had some um therapy the club. <laughs> yeah. I mean do you know what I think everyone should have therapy because I think it's great and I, well, there's a there's an even better quote which says that I go to therapy to deal with people who won't go to therapy and I think <laughs> if everyone went we'd all be in a better place 100% I remember saying to my therapist I, so I had um therapy at 
the Dimbleby Cancer Care Centre. So it was very much specifically about my cancer experience. And I remember saying to um, my therapist, oh, I'm just so annoyed that people call me inspirational. Like I'm not inspirational just because I haven't like fallen over and can't stand up again because I've got cancer. I'm not inspirational. And she was like, but if they think you're inspirational, why would you take that away from them? Yeah. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, and I, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. You know, I, I don't think I'm exceptional at all. I think I'm, I'm just a person who's kind of made the best of the situation that they found themselves in. And, and again, that's all anyone's ever really trying to do. So, yeah. Well, I think you're pretty exceptional. So thank agree. you so much for sharing that's your story. Nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's very nice. And I'm going to let you feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we both think you're pretty exceptional, Alice. And you've actually told your story in your own book, Life, Lemons and Melons, which I have to admit, until I was doing my research for this podcast and I was sort of stalking you back for years <laughs> on Instagram, I was like, how did I not know this? And when you sent me your website, um, so I've ordered the book and I'm so excited to get stuck in. But can you just, I guess, give us sort of a little bit of an overview of what the book's about and how it tells your story? Yeah, um, I guess part of the reason that you didn't know about the book is because I don't talk about it as often as I probably should. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very bad at promoting it and I just kind of have it as a thing that, it, a thing that I did once. But yes, I wrote this <laughs> Just book. this small thing of publishing a book. Yeah, no big deal. Uh, yeah, well, I think because I self-published it, I'm a bit like, well, it's not a real, it's not a real thing. Um, but anyone else who self-publishes a book, I'm like, you absolute rock stars. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> but obviously different standards. But yeah, so I wrote this book, Life, Lemons and Melons, and it's about the relationship between cancer and mental health. And I kind of alluded to it before, but I I've kind of lived with um, depression for most of my adult life and haven't really ever done anything about it. And just before um, I was diagnosed with cancer, I decided that, you know, maybe it was it was time to to do something. And I went to the GPs and I talked to them about it. And I had my first lot of CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Yeah, so I had six sessions of CBT and the last one I went in and the guy I was working with, he was called Steve, he was wonderful. He was like, so how's your week been? And I was like, well, Steve, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And I swear to God, you could have knocked the man down with a feather. <laughs> I, I talked about all sorts of stuff in those six week sessions. I talked about like kind of suicidal ideation. I talked about how, how I talk to myself, which isn't often very nice and all of those kind of things. And I'd never seen his face change. But as soon as I said the words, I've got cancer, Steve, that was the, the first time I saw his, any kind of reaction from him. And obviously... <laughs> It was quite unexpected for him, poor guy. Um, and yeah, I, I, when I had my treatment for, for cancer, I went into like survival mode, essentially, and um, was concentrating very, very much on the cancer and really, really neglected my brain. And um, I didn't take care of the fact that, you know, actually my brain needed more TLC than ever before. And um yeah, it wasn't until I was partway through my treatment where I really seriously thought about doing something to, to take my own life, um, where I was like, okay, I need, to, I, I need to do something about this. I need to like, start taking care of myself again because I would never want to leave 
people behind that I wouldn't want to put that on people anyway um yeah so I decided um to get some support so I started having counseling and therapy and blah blah blah, blah and that has continued on um, I still have therapy now I mean I haven't had it for a while because it's only over zoom at the moment and I'm a bit like don't know how I feel about that anyway um but yeah I decided to I like, actually enjoy it more oh, weirdly do you? that's interesting I quite like the distant element to mm. it yeah but like it's a bit more protected I sometimes yeah. feel when you're in their room and you're sat on their chair and they're digging inside your head that it you end up just leaving a feeling a bit like oh god oh my god Whereas, I always feel really shell-shocked after therapy like same. really shell-shocked um it's like someone's taken a spoon inside your brain and just stirred it all up and you're like oh god <laughs> I always say that my therapy costs um 40 pounds and like 65 pence or whatever because I pay for the therapy and then I pay for a twirl afterwards mine's more like a bottle of gin but whatever <laughs> yeah no whatever works um but yeah so um after I finished my treatment I you know I was thinking a lot about um about the kind of parallels between cancer and, and mental health, health and how they intersect and um all of that kind of stuff and I just decided that the best way to explore it was through writing some longer form stuff and um I got an agent my agent was amazing he loved the idea took it to publishers they loved the idea um, but the thing that they was kind of a stumbling block for them was the fact that I didn't have enough followers on social media so I was like oh, really? yeah so because it was non-fiction the the amount of followers you have is really like kind of indicative of how many people is gonna, are going to buy your book essentially so yeah publishers wouldn't take it because I didn't have enough social media followers and then I was like fine soldier I'll do it myself um, good for you so, and when you say you have got enough you. you've got several thousand and a blue tick on instagram yes yes the blue tick on instagram is kind of hilarious because i only got that because i did a <laughs> i did a, a facebook live at um facebook hq for breast cancer awesome. care or breast cancer now as they are now and um when i was there they're like alice do you want to become verified on instagram and facebook i was like sure why not? Duh. <laughs> no big deal. Um, yeah, so I've got I've got my blue tick, but I think I, I feel like lots of people look at it and they're like, why has she got that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Own it. Um, but yeah, so I wrote Life, Lemons and Melons. I self-published it. It was illustrated by um, an artist called Georgia Wilmot. Um, beautiful, really beautiful illustrations that kind of um, really complement I mean, I would argue that the pictures are better than the words. Um, and yeah, um, it, it's this, this thing that exists in the world and um, people have responded quite well to it, I, I think. Excited. I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah, you can uh, borrow it when I'm, when I'm finished. <laughs> you can give it to me when we go swimming with Alice in the yes. cold lake. I'm definitely going to take Great. some convincing on the swimming front. <laughs> <laughs> Alice, I guess then a final musing for you've covered an, a, an astonishing array of everything from mental health to sort of resilience to trauma to the cancer um, diagnosis that you received and obviously the recovery and the journey and growth that it's led you on. What would you say, I guess, to anyone who's listening as like in a piece of advice, you know, whether they are, you know, struggling with the pandemic or whether they themselves have recently had a, you know, a piece of bad news or a diagnosis what would you what would you leave people on such a great question and you know i i don't know how 
valuable my advice would be but I think um just that ev everything I just think it always always comes back to kindness and I'm very it's very much do as I say not as I do because I'm not particularly kind to myself always um but I think if you can be as kind as possible to yourself and those around you you're going to stand yourself in good stead to tolerate whatever's thrown at you and I think the other piece of advice I would say is get outside if you're feeling like if you're feeling overwhelmed by the world and what's going on in the world I think one of the best things you can do is go outside take your shoes off and put your feet in the grass because there is nothing more grounding than feeling the earth under your feet and feeling the grass under your feet feeling like the coolness of it it's an incredible way to remind yourself that you're part of something much bigger and I think that's a really powerful tool and then getting some really? cold water <laughs> <laughs> lest we forget yeah. really really eloquently but I love that thank you so much no worries likewise so before you joined us today Alice we asked you to prepare two truths and a lie can you hit us with your two truths and a lie and we will do our very best to guess which one was the lie. I'm going to try really hard to engage my poker face. <laughs> okay, game on. Okay, so number one. I once appeared on page three of several national newspapers dressed as a nun on a sledge. <laughs> wow. <laughs> number two. I played the violin badly for six years and for about four of those, I woke up my parents every morning with a screeching rendition of God Save the Queen. <laughs> And number three, I'm an exceptionally reluctant runner, but in 2019, I did a half marathon dressed as Mario from Mario Kart. Oh, Amazing. God. Right. I think I we need so to many delve. Questions. Yeah, so I, think so we need, questions. I think we need to sort of dive into this a bit. Yeah. So, number one, dressed as a nun on a sledge yeah. on page three of several newspapers. How did that come about? <laughs> <laughs> I was doing work experience at um, a press agency when I was at uni in Liverpool and they thought a really good story would be Sister Sledge. Right. <laughs> so they put me and one other girl on a sledge and it was because they were a press agency it was farmed out to loads of newspapers and it appeared on page three of several national papers. Including The Sun? I don't think it, I think it might have been on page four in the sun. But I mm, think I'm, I'm starting to pick holes in this story. Um, <laughs> and let's, let's walk through to the marathon where you dressed up as Mario. Yeah. Um, why Mario of all of them? I mean, you've got Peaches, she's a babe. You've got um, is a babe. Luigi. <laughs> why Mario? Because Mario is like, the one you know it's called the main Mario car it's not called peach's car is it <laughs> and true. i thought that i could like you know channel some mario energy um into my run because like i say i'm a very reluctant runner but i thought you know take everything you can get mario's energy and see if you can use that to make you run faster some big car energy right there big um, car energy when was that run <laughs> yeah, sorry uh, it was October 2019, so just over a year ago. This one I'm feeling could be true. Yeah, the poker face is engaged. 
Thanks. You see, I'm, oh, I think the violin, I've got a feeling that's true. I do enjoy that so you chose God Save the Queen. I mean, I would have preferred Jerusalem personally, but I mean, it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know, you do you. <laughs> The thing I am going to vote page three is the lie. George? I'm actually going to vote that Mario is a lie for two reasons. Number one, you do say you're a reluctant runner, but you've spoken so much about swimming and not about running mm. that I feel like, hmm, I'm not sure about that. And also, although I haven't actually asked a question about this, I was going to say, I feel like if you were going to, if you're a reluctant runner, You'd put yourself through a half marathon for a charity and you haven't mentioned a charity. Therefore, I'm going to say that Mario is the lie. So, Mario is the lie. Yes! No! <laughs> so, I did, um, I, I am an exceptionally reluctant runner. I only run if I have to. Um, and I did do a half marathon in 2019, but I did it dressed as a boob because I did it for Copperfield. Of course. Duh. <laughs> She's a boobette. Yeah, but yeah, the other two, completely true. Okay, so the next question, this is, of course, the Guy and a Gal podcast. Oh, yeah. So the question we would like to ask you is, if you were a guy for a day, what would you do and why? I was thinking about this, and it's, it's not something I've ever thought about before, but one, a quote that I really like is, walk around with the confidence of a mediocre white man. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that all white men are mediocre, but I would love to walk around with the confidence of some mediocre white men. Do you know what I mean? You know the sort of person <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't you? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I'd do if I was a man for a day. <laughs> Hashtag not that. all men are mediocre, promise. <laughs> so final question to wrap up this episode. We've talked about a lot of things that you've done uh, over the last few years in particular since your cancer diagnosis, but we started this podcast as a result of the pandemic because it was 2020 and we thought why not give this a go so what we'd like to know from you is what is the best thing that's happened to you in 2020 and why i think the best thing that's happened to me in 2020 is is series two of the podcast well actually we dropped the first series in 2020 as well and the podcast has been such a great um thing to keep me out of mischief especially over the last couple of months um <laughs> yeah like afterthoughts is um a big part of my healing my own healing and um i think it's helping others heal so that's a great thing and fingers crossed before the end of 2020 although we're not quite there yet might have bought a house <gasps> wow exciting. so exciting i feel like i need to like touch wood but we're touching wood for you <laughs> yeah it's progressing just you know bloody slowly and it does it open up onto a lake so you can go swimming every morning Oh my God, I wish it did. But it's actually closer to Beckenham Lake than where I am now. So, um, it, I mean, it only, it only takes me, it takes me 14 minutes to cycle to the lake currently on my Brompton. That's why it's quite slow because <laughs> I've got very small tyres. Other uh, brands are available. Yeah, other <laughs> brands are available. Um, but I think it'll take me about six to eight minutes on my bike Perfect. from the new place. So winner <laughs> well best of luck with the house purchase hopefully all goes to plan thanks and once again thank you so much for joining us today i think you know you've, you've really shared an awful lot and i for one i'm gonna go 
into my day going forward with a lot more kindness and compassion, I think, Yay. is the, oh, the aim of the game. And for anyone who has got a bit of spare time, check out Afterthoughts, another fabulous podcast, series two, now out. And then after you've listened to Afterthoughts, you can also buy Alice's book, Life, Lemons and Melons. And Alice, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they find you? So I am uh, at Alice May Perkis across the board, pretty much. Uh, Blue tick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the good thing about having uh, quite an unusual name. I can just use my name as all of my social handles. Brilliant. Um, and you can also find us um, for the podcast. It's at Afterthoughts34. Amazing. Well, Alice, once again, thanks so much for joining us. To all of you listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Please do share, subscribe and follow us on Apple or indeed on Spotify and leave us a review. We're always very keen and we're very keen to hear any of your feedback that you might have on this week's episode. So thank you again and until next time, goodbye. Bye.